following is a continuation in our study of the covenants of the Bible. We hope you enjoy. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our time together. I pray that you would bless the tree as he opens up the word and expounds that to us. I pray that we just have a fun time. And even though we can't see each other face to face, which is better, we can have this, uh, which is also pretty fun. So I pray that we would just have a good time this evening. Amen. Amen. So tonight we are going to be looking at the Mosaic Covenant, which is the covenant that God made with Moses. And before we do that, I want to read a quote from a guy named Dr. Phil Williams. He's at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he wrote this in his commentary on Romans about the law. And he says this, The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, but it's not the broom that sweeps it clean. Okay, So essentially what he's saying is the law kind of shows us how sinful we can be because it exposes the way that we disobey God, but it's not the thing that's going to save us. And that's something we're going to focus on tonight. So the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And again, the purpose was never to save but rather it was to give light to sin. So just like turning on the light in your room reveals just how messy it is, the law kind of exposes and shows just how dirty the room is for us. But it never saves. But it does give us a means to see how that we are to live. The practical conclusion that we see from the covenant of grace is that Israel is to obey God's law. As we looked at the covenant of grace a few weeks ago, the practical conclusion of that is for Israel to obey God's law. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to look at why the law is important, and then we're going to kind of look at how the law was given in a context of grace. So I think it's important for us to see that context so that we don't get too bogged down into the, the nitty-gritty of, of the law itself. So go ahead and turn to Exodus 19. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 6, but right now I just want to read verses 1 to 2. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So what we see in verses 1 to 2 is this picture of where we are in the time and place of this particular passage. The third new moon since they had left Egypt essentially meant that there were roughly 50 days out from Passover, and consequently, this is kind of the same timing of Pentecost in the New Testament, roughly 50 days after Passover. And here they are at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they're going to begin this next 11 months of kind of learning about God's laws. He reveals it to them. And it's actually quite fascinating when you think about this particular section. You know, essentially, the whole book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers chapter 1 through 10, we see just here in these 11 months. And that's out of the full 40-year wanderings. We see most of what the Bible focuses on is just these 11 months here. And I think what God is trying to say to us here is that this is huge. This is pretty important. Even though the Mosaic Covenant is it's an extension of the Covenant of Grace, which we're going to see in a little bit, this covenant has God unveiling his law to his people. And what God is doing here is he's looking to put our understanding of the law in a proper perspective. I think the proper perspective for us is that we need to see that it's not just a bunch of rules, even though it it does read like a bunch of rules. It is grounded in grace. And if we don't understand it that way, 
then it's going to only be frustrating for us. So let's look at the context of the grace that's given in this particular covenant. So let me ask this question. When you answer, make sure you turn off your mute button if it's on. What is your first initial reaction when you think about the Mosaic Law, especially when you compare it to the other covenants? Dated. Dated, okay. Like, it just doesn't seem realistic. Mm-hmm. But, like, I know it's important, but mm-hmm. still. Yeah. That's my first thought. Okay. What else? Well, my guess would be that this one in particular is probably your least favorite. Is, is that fair to say? Because it has to do a lot with the law, the rules and regulations. And even though they're for our good, we often don't really like them. Somebody read verses 3 to 6 for me of chapter 19. Uh, Yeah, I'll read it, Tree. Thank you. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Okay. Thank you, Caleb. When we read these four verses here, verses 3 to 6, God wants us to understand that the covenant relationship which he is reaffirming with Israel here, it's a gracious one. It's not one where he just slaps on a bunch of rules and says, all right, let's see how you do. No, there's a lot of grace given in this, okay? Israel didn't earn or deserve this relationship. It's something that God gave them. He chose them as a people. They get so impatient waiting on God to work in their lives that they make this golden calf and they worship it in idolatry. And they would spend most of the wilderness wandering complaining. But God has been so gracious to them and they've forgotten what he has done. So Moses goes to God and what does God do? He tells them three things as a reminder of his relationship with him. So let's focus on those three things real quick. He says in verses three to four, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and how I brought you to myself. He wants Israel and us to remember what he did to the Egyptians. Think about it. God and his justice had every right to bury Israel under the Red Sea just like he did Egypt. They didn't deserve their freedom. God gave it to them. The difference between Egypt and Israel was what? Relationship. God had relationship with the Israelites. It wasn't that Israel was better or more appealing. Okay, They complained. They moaned. They argued all the time. They weren't very pleasant. But God was showing his grace to them. They definitely weren't righteous. But they will never be apart from the grace of God. He tells them of how he dealt with Egypt, and then he reminds them of how he graciously delivered them. If you see in verse 4, how I bore you on eagles' wings. So what was the reason that Israel was allowed to leave Egypt in the first place? Well, I mean, God allowed them to leave because he rescued them from slavery with the Egyptians through Moses. and The plague. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so it really had nothing to do with themselves, right? It was all God's work. I mean, it wasn't like they got together and did a bunch of political rallies. It wasn't like they gathered the masses and had a bunch of protests. No, it was God hardening Pharaoh's heart and bringing the plagues and directing Pharaoh to release them. 
And even at the Red Sea, what did God do? He told them to stand still and watch what he was going to do. And then he split the sea so that they can escape. And then he brought the waves down over the Egyptians and killed them all. Okay? When they were hungry in the wilderness, what did God do? God provided them manna. He provided them quail to eat. When they were thirsty, he brought water from the rocks. Okay? The Lord is graciously providing for them. And he bore them on eagles' wings. And I hope you don't miss this picture here, this picture of being on eagles' wings. Eagles, when they're trying to get their baby eaglets or whatever you call them to fly, you know what they do? They push them out of the nest, okay? And as they're falling, you know what the mama eagle does? She flies down right as they're about to hit the ground and catches them and carries them. So are those baby eagles flying themselves? No, no, they're not, okay? They're just falling, okay? But the mama eagle comes in and does the flying for them. And that's the picture that we see here is that God is the one that is carrying them along. He's the one that's working in everything. And that's a beautiful picture of his covenantal relationship with them. They're riding on his back. So what is the last thing that he reminds them of here? One, of how he dealt with Egypt. Two, that he's the one that's carrying. Well, what is the last thing he reminds them of? It's at the end of verse 4. Um, he says, and I brought you to myself. Yeah. Yeah. So my translation says he drew them to himself. Okay, He reminds them of that drawing. And again, that's a very gracious thing. Okay, He didn't wait for them to find him on their own. Okay, Obviously, they wouldn't have done that because they wandered around in circles for 40 years. But he's going to provide for them the law in order to give them a means not only in which to obey him, but also to show them their need for him. John in his gospel talks about how no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him first. I think I've shared this with you all before, but that picture of drawing, it's the same language that's used of drawing water up from a well. Water doesn't come up from a well by itself, does it? No. Okay, water has to be drawn. So God is the one that's doing the drawing. Okay, he's the one that's drawing his people to himself. He's the one that's showing them the relationship that they have with him. And he's going to provide for them in many different ways, ways that they don't even expect, ways that they they don't deserve. Dr. Ligon Duncan, who is the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, he says this of this passage. He says, this is what Moses is essentially doing. Tell the people, remember that I saved you by grace so that you won't forget that when I announced them, my household law, that this law is not a means of their salvation, but rather it is the goal of my redemption. It's not the cause of their deliverance, but it's the goal of their deliverance. The Israelites were never really given this option of you can either choose grace or law. Okay, If you were given that option, what would you choose? Everybody said grace. grace. Okay, Yeah, they weren't given the option. There's this common misconception that things in the Old Testament were always salvation by works and everything in the New Testament is salvation by grace. That's just not true because God is being incredibly gracious here to the Israelites by reminding them of who he is and what he's done and how he has been gracious to them. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Who would like to read part of Romans chapter 4 for me? Verses 1 to 5. I got it. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Is that Jack? Yeah. All right. Whenever you get there, Jack, go ahead. Chapter 4, 1 through 5. Chapter 4, 1 to 5. That's correct. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not for God. For what does Scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Thank you, Jack. Now, as we read this New Testament passage, Paul isn't saying that the Old Testament is always about works and not about grace. He's sitting here telling us that Abraham is an example of how God dealt graciously and how God dealt by a covenant of grace. It was all about his faith, and that faith is even a gift of grace. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 19, because it sounds like what Moses is writing to us. Here, I'm going to pull it up here. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Okay, when it says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this kind of sounds like an obedience equals salvation thing, does it not, when you first read it? Because what does it say? It says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Okay, so it does sound like it's a works-based thing, but what do you think God is really getting across through Moses here? What do you think he's trying to describe to them? Is he making the point that when we have a relationship with God and faith in God, that our works are truly glorifying because it comes out of a place of like wanting to glorify God? Yeah. Boom. What he's yeah, at. you nailed it right on the head, Hannah. Exactly. He's talking about how when we have that relationship, when we are in the promises of God, then all of our works are for one purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. So I don't think what Moses is saying here is, is getting across that, you know, if they obey, then God will save them. No, we just saw how gracious he was in verses one to four here. So I don't think Moses would come out and say something completely opposite. We have to remember that every covenant has responsibilities, okay? Every relationship has responsibilities. What might be some responsibilities of somebody who's in a marriage relationship? Just being, like, faithful to their spouse. Mm-hmm. Okay, faithfulness. What else? Loving their spouse for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. How about cleaning toilets? Is that a responsibility? Yeah. <laughs> helping around the house. Helping with children. Provision. Providing for each other. Any marriage should be based on covenantal love, which is a picture of God's grace. Okay, And that should never change. But there's always responsibilities that come with that. Okay, We can't just always rely on unconditional love in relationships because someone will always be disappointed. Because someone's always being unfaithful, or they're not cleaning the toilet, or they're not doing whatever the responsibilities are. But if we look at it in this way, that there's unconditional love, which is a picture of grace, but there's always responsibilities such as faithfulness, protection, respect, provision, etc., etc. That's the law piece. Okay, But God's responsibility in this covenant is what? It's to communicate that the same promises that he's been making throughout time, the same ones that he made with Adam, the same ones that he made with Noah and with Abraham and the same one he's going to make with David and the same promise that he's going to make in the new covenant. Okay, they're the same throughout all time. And here he's specifically communicating some blessings that come with being in relationship with God. 
Dr. Duncan says again of this section here, he says, we're to be his treasured possessions and we're to be a kingdom of priests and we're to be a holy nation. Those are the responsibilities, but they're also blessings in themselves. So we have a responsibility to live in light of these things, to be a treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation. But those are all things that bring us and keep us in right relationship with God. And that's a blessing to us. So the Mosaic Covenant is not saying keep God's law and he's going to bless Israel into being a treasured possession, into being a kingdom of priests, into being a holy nation. They already were this. Okay, They were already that because of the promises that he made to them already. So what he's saying here is keep God's law and he's going to make you into what you were made to be already. Now let me ask you this question as we wrap up. Who here, and you can just raise your hand, who here is naturally a rule follower? I'm naturally a rule follower. Caleb, I know you are. Okay, We talk about this all the time. Okay, So who here is naturally a rule breaker? You can raise your hand. It's okay. So here's some examples. Okay, Everybody is naturally a rule follower or a rule breaker. Everybody has tendencies to try and do exactly what is told, or they have tendencies to do things that maybe they weren't explicitly told not to do, so they're just going to uh, you know, pretend like that's not part of the rules. So here's an example. Some people will keep backing out of a parking spot until they get it just right because they don't want to be over a line. And others don't care if they take up a little space into two or more spaces. Okay. I get frustrated as a rule follower when I see people over the line in a parking lot. All right, here's another example. Some people will listen to Pastor Tree on retreats when he says lights out at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. Others will say, well, technically the lights are out, so that doesn't mean that we have to be quiet or actually be in the cabin. Okay. Here's another example. Some might look at a packing list and see a list of things to bring and a list of things not to bring. And others might look at the list and say, well... And this is actually a true story. I want, I want to share this with you. Some might look at the list and say, well, grappling hooks aren't on that list of things not to bring, so I'm going to bring my grappling hook. I actually had a student at one point bring a grappling hook on a retreat because it wasn't on our list of things not to bring. Okay. That is that is the tendency of a rule breaker. We all have tendencies in either one of those two ways, but the beautiful thing about this covenant is that whether we're seeking to obey or whether we're disobeying, God's grace is there for us, and ultimately we see that in Jesus. And he gives that to us daily. He gives us Christ daily, not only to draw us to himself, draw us closer to himself by following his law, but also giving us the grace that we need when we fall short, the grace that we need when we break those rules, the grace that we need when we purposely sin. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2 real quick, and we'll end with this. Who would like to read Galatians 2, verse 16 through 21. I can do it. Okay, thank you. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law I died to the law, so I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, 
For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, so again, what Paul is really trying to get across here is that the law is for our good. The law is a good thing, but it doesn't save us. Only Jesus can. So again, when we look back at that opening quote that I read, and I'll read it again for you. The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, but it's not the broom that sweeps it clean. What we're talking about tonight, this whole Mosaic Law thing, it shows us that the law that God gave, even though it was good, and even though it was helpful, and even though it was a means for us to show our obedience to God, those laws were never meant to give salvation or life, but rather they're there to show us our need of Jesus. And God graciously continues to reveal himself throughout time, and through his covenants, to show us that very truth. And he's going to keep showing us that through the covenant with David. He's going to make it incredibly clear when we get to the new covenant. So that's kind of our reminder tonight. The law, it was good, and it was given to Moses, it was given to Israel as a means to help them obey, but also to show them their need for Jesus. So let me close our time in prayer, and then I'll put you guys in breakout rooms. And then we can spend some time talking about this topic. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for the means that we can even come together over Zoom to be able to study your word. I pray for each of these students tonight, Lord, that as we reflect on your law and also reflect on your grace, Lord, that we would be reminded of how we need to be obedient towards you, but also be aware of the grace that you give us when we fall short, Lord. So I pray for each one of these young men and women. ask that you would bless them this evening. Bless us as we go through these long days of being by ourselves, how frustrating it can be to not be able to go and hang out with people, Lord, but uh, we ask that you would keep us safe, you would watch over all of us, and I pray this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM. Oh, 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 oh,